Turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 9. That's where we're going to start tonight. Acts chapter 9. We've been going through the book of Acts. And uh, if you haven't been coming on Wednesday nights, Wednesday nights are a little different than Sunday in that they're just a little more relaxed and not maybe quite as preachy, just a little more teaching and kind of a Bible study of sorts. Uh, so we've been taking our time going through the book of Acts, and I never really quite know how far we're going to get. could be just a couple verses. It could be the whole chapter. I don't know. We're going to just take our time. But as we go through the book of Acts, tonight we're going to read, you know, some of the times that we read these things, it may feel a little... Uh, because it's not like a prepared sermon would be on Sunday in the same way. It's not like it's it's not topical. It's just going through Scripture to see you know what the Word of God has to say, and and how that can be different is sometimes our minds are not uh, ready for that because our minds are used to being sort of entertained and uh, you know I guess entertained is the best way to say it. So we're not used to disciplining our minds to just sit still and listen to the Word of God. But I'm going to say that there are a few things that have ever changed my life more than reading just large passages of Scripture. And one of the things that, I, I, if, if someone ever asked me what is the most important thing I could do as a Christian, I would have to say, read the Bible through from cover to cover. And I know a lot of Christians have not done that. Uh, they read it in sections. They read a you know, chapter here, chapter there. But from cover to cover, read the whole thing. It's so important. There's nothing. Uh, that, that's, that's the top. That's, that has to be in the top two or three things that most changed my life as a Christian was reading the Bible from cover to cover. And I'll tell you why. First of all, the Word of God is powerful and alive. It's not, it's not just history, you know, and the, and the way that God speaks to his people is through his word. Yes. That's the way that you're most often going to hear God. You want to hear God, that's the way you're most, gonna, most often going to hear God. It's not going to be with your physical ear. You're going to hear God most often through his word. What does that mean? Well, it means that you may read a passage of Scripture that wasn't really written to you. It was written thousands of years ago, but when you read it, the Holy Spirit on the inside of you is going to make that come alive, and you're going to see something that you never saw before, and God is going to say, see, this, this is what I've been trying to say to you. So never underestimate the power of reading large passages of Scripture. Even uh, when I read the Bible through... I have to admit, there are some parts that I skim read now. In the beginning, though, I read every word, and I took it, I took it so carefully. But when you get to the part about, like, the genealogies, so-and-so begat so-and-so, you know, Abraham begat Isaac, you know, it's just, I'm half asleep by the time I get through. Or, or when they're building the temple, and it's like, well, and they had 16 cubits for this curtain, and, so, and it's just chapter after chapter of inches and feet and measurements and all of that. But I really had a firm belief in the beginning I, that I had a firm belief that every single word is powerful. Every single word is powerful. Every and, every, every T, every I dotted, every bit of it is powerful. And when we read the Word of God tonight, again, this is not like a sermon, but we're going to read a lot in chapter 11. And I'm just telling you the power that the... The Word of God has to change your life is in the faith that you have in it and the respect that you have in it and in the honor that you have for it. And if you approach the Word of God that way, if you approach the Word of God with tremendous honor and respect and humility and you look at it as the supreme authority, because I don't, you know, one thing I've noticed about me is uh, I'm going to be 40 this year by the way. I don't know if y'all knew that. My wife beat me by two years, so I'm feeling pretty good. But um, I know some of y'all been there a long time, but, but uh, what I've noticed, the, the older that I've gotten, what I've noticed is everything is, everything is fickle. Er, everything else is fickle. 
and very few other things can really be trusted. Human, human nature can't be trusted. Your own, your own mind, your own emotions, what you think is going to change from year to year. One day you may feel like being married, the next day you may not. One day you may feel like being a Christian, the next year you may not. One day you may think God's the best, and then one day you're dis- the next month or year you're disappointed in things. Guess your emotions go up, down, everything around you changes, culture changes, people's opinions about what's right, what's wrong, morals, all of that changes. There's one thing that remains constant. It's the Word of God. And His Word, and this is, again, this is not just like me preaching. This is a reality in my life. The Word of God is my anchor. And when I read large passages of Scripture, it gives me perspective. And it anchors me in a way that I need to be anchored. And when I'm hearing 500 opinions, you know, you could turn on... You could turn on CNN, you could turn on Fox News, you could go on Instagram, you can, and you can hear 5,000 opinions about everything in the world, and yet there's opinions, uh, there, there's truth in here that surpass opinions, and they've never changed, and they're solid. And when you read that, it changes you. And what happens when you read the Word of God, you start to think like God. In other words, you start to see life the way God sees it. And, and sometimes you don't realize how far off you are from how God sees something until you start really re- reading the Bible. You don't realize how far off our culture has gotten on some things until you start reading the Bible. So as we go through this, this, this is so important. I can't overemphasize how important it is what we're going to do tonight and what we've been doing on Wednesday nights of just going through the Word of God, going through the Bible. It, it, actually... There wouldn't be anything wrong if I showed up here on a Wednesday night and all we did for 45 minutes was just read chapter after chapter of the book of Acts. I know some of you might, y'all had a long day at work, you might doze a little bit. But, but actually, in the early church, they, they did that. And, and Paul sometimes would tell Timothy, look, until I come, just focus on reading the scriptures. When you gather, read the word of God. And even if, if I did that, if I, if I were to take the, a Wednesday night and do that... I would just like to think, I don't know if this would happen, I would like to think that y'all just on the edge of your seat, just listening every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Because that's how we ought to be viewing the Word of God. That's how it ought to be in our life. And if you read something in the Word of God that you don't understand or you don't quite get, you, ha- you should be in the mindset that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get this, I'm going to read this, I'm going to study this, I'm going to pray over this, I'm going to ask God until I see it how he sees it. So we're in chapter 11 of the book of Acts, but I'm going to back up to Acts chapter 9, verse 23, because I, I want to read this very short passage here, and it's going to kind of set up chapter 11 for us. We read it a few weeks, but that's been a few weeks ago. Acts chapter 9, verse 23, Paul has already been converted on the road to Damascus. He's in Damascus now. And in verse 23 of Acts chapter 9, it says, When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him, but his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. Now, what you'll find out through the rest of the New Testament is that Paul had kind of an issue. He was always a little bit of an outsider with the other apostles, for whatever reason. You know, was it because they were the twelve and he was nowhere around? They followed Jesus for three years. They, They feel like they've got an understanding of who Jesus is, and now this outsider is coming in. You know, they don't trust him. But as you read through the whole New Testament, you'll find out that Paul had a little bit of trouble joining himself to the other apostles. He never quite saw eye to eye. He and Peter, you know, knocked heads a few times. This was always kind of an issue. And then right from the beginning, you see it. When he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord 
who spoke to him. And now at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And I, I wonder when I read this, what did Barnabas see in Paul that none of the other apostles could see? Because these are all men of God. And so Peter, James, John, you know, they're seeing Paul, but for some reason they're keeping him at a distance. What did, what did Barnabas see? Or maybe we could say what was different about Barnabas? You know, Barnabas, his real name was Joseph, and they nicknamed him Barnabas, which meant son of encouragement. So obviously he had that, that kind of spirit to see other people succeed and to see potential in other people and encourage them and help them uh, bring that gift out. So that's the type of person Barnabas was. And so even though Paul is kind of having a hard time fit, fit, fitting in, Barnabas was that type of person that he would came alongside Paul and helped him reach his full potential. How many of you know people like that are very valuable Amen. in the body of Christ? Amen. And maybe some of us, uh, maybe all of us have stories of people that did that in our life. I mean, I know I can look back through the years and I can see people that saw something in me, saw potential in me, maybe that others didn't see, and trusted me and believed in me to do something that felt like it was beyond me. Well, that was kind of how Barnabas was. You know, Barnabas, he believed in Paul. He saw something in Paul that the others uh, were, not, were not seeing. Now, this brings us to chapter 11, Acts chapter 11. And one thing I want to say about Barnabas, you kind of, if you've read through the book of Acts, you already know this is coming up, that Paul and Barnabas did not stay together forever. They eventually had that moment where they split. Uh, they saw things differently, and it was really over this issue because they had an issue with John Mark, and we'll come to that later so we won't get too much into that tonight. But they had an issue with John Mark, and Paul wrote him off, and Barnabas still was seeing something in John Mark. He said, no, God's not done with John Mark. There's more for John Mark. I don't think we should write John Mark off because of this one mistake that he made. Well, who was right? Who was right with the apostles in the beginning being wary of, of Paul? You know, did it make sense that they were cautious around Paul? I think it makes sense. I mean, just a few weeks before, he was murdering Christians. Is this some kind of plot to come in and kill Christians? And if you read the story about John Mark... You know, John Mark abandoned them in the middle of a missionary journey. I understand Paul's mindset of, yeah, I'm not trusting you again. I'm not bringing you along again because now you're a liability. If you leave us in the middle again, you could jeopardize the whole, the whole mission. But Barnabas said, no, he, the person is more valuable than the work. And Paul said, the work is more valuable than the person. Who's right? That's a hard... But what, what I've learned is that God, uh, God, God puts both types of personalities in the body of Christ and that there's a need for both types. You know, there's that militant type, hey, the mission above everything else, no matter who the ca what the casualties are, the mission is above everything else. And then there's that mentality of no people above everything else. And, you know, we'll sacrifice the mission if it means to save a person. So it's hard to say who is right, but that's who Barnabas was, and he was that way. He just he could see potential in people, and that's such a godly, such a godly trait. But one thing that I was thinking about when I was reading this is how God will put certain people in your life that are very strategic for a, a certain period of time, but it doesn't mean those people are going to be with you forever or that you're going to be connected with those people forever. You know, Barnabas and Paul were very close, as you're going to see. They were they were very close. But there came a point where they separated and went different ways. I don't think it meant that they were at odds or they, they didn't like each other, it just, but they weren't working together anymore. And that happens sometimes. That happens, with, that happens with churches. It happens with seasons of life. You know, I was thinking, me and Jen were just talking about this this week, how we've worked at different churches and we've had different uh, leaders and staff around us at different times. And now we're here in Alexandria and... In different times, it's like you. some people that you were with, you thought you would be with forever, and then there comes a season and you're not. And this is the same thing that happens with, 
with uh, Paul and Barnabas eventually. But this, it's, part of the, it's part of the process. It's part of the process. It's, it's part of the natural process of things and part of the kingdom that people, in a sense, are going to come and go. You know, we love them. They're there. We, we're there for people, and they're there for us. But it's not always going to be that way. And there are times that people do, you know, separate and go different ways. That happens. So that's Acts chapter 9. Then in Acts chapter 10, we get a break from Paul's story. And we start hearing about Peter and Cornelius. That was where we left off last semester, is where the outpouring of the Holy Spirit came uh, upon Cornelius and upon the Gentiles. That's all of chapter 10. Then we come to chapter 11, which is where we're going to pick up tonight. Chapter 11, verse 1. It says, Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. Now, we're not going to read that whole uh, section, but basically what's going on here is there's a group of people that think that you have to do this or look like this in order to be right with God. They were called the circumcision party. As you know from the Old Testament, circumcision was a sign of being part of the covenant of God. But in the New Testament, it's not like that. And Jews would not hang out with people that were not Jews. They would not be around people that were uncircumcised because they were out of the covenant. They were not part of the covenant people of God. And so they're criticizing Peter, there's so much to learn from this because think about, think about Peter. You know, he's trying to lead these people. He's got a group of people he's leading, and now there's this new group that's trying to come in, the Gentiles. And you don't want to upset all the group that you've been currently leading to reach this few over here. These are the people that you've been with for a while, but now you know God is working among these people, but it, by working with them, you're upsetting these people. But you know God's in it. And see, that, that kind of stuff happens in our lives. That happens in churches. You know, I mean, I've, been, I've, grown, I've grown up in church. I've been in church. I've seen churches get upset. Churches get offended because, oh, well, you're, you know, you're reaching a certain type of person or you're bringing in a certain type of person. And, well, you know, now our kids are around this and that and that. That stuff happens. Happens in churches. And that's what's happening here. So the Gentiles, people that were outcast, people that weren't accepted by God, they're starting to receive the word of God. And there's a group that don't understand it. And the Bible says that they criticized him. And he said, you went to uncircumcised men, you ate with them. And so Peter began to explain it to them in this order. But here was the thing that convinced them. Okay, so we could read the whole uh, thing that he, that he explained. So well, basically he tells them the story about the sheet coming out with the unclean animals and how he went to Cornelius' house and everything that happened. But this is what really convinced them. Verse 15. He says, as I begin to speak, talking about to Cornelius and his family, as I begin to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. Why is this the linchpin? Why is this the one thing that's undeniable? He's telling these guys, you remember how we were there on the day of Pentecost? We were in the upper room and a miracle happened. The Holy Spirit appeared as tongues of fire and sat on each of our heads. We all began to speak in tongues. We poured out into the, the street and, you know, several thousand people were saved and the Holy Spirit was miraculously poured out. He said, you were there. You experienced that. You know that no man did that. A man couldn't do that. That was a supernatural thing that happened from heaven. It was a supernatural thing that happened from God. And if God did that, to these Gentiles, how can, any, how can any man deny it? How can any man argue with it? He said, as I begin to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. That, that must mean that God has no favoritism. It must mean that God's pouring His Spirit out on all people. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how He said, John baptized with water... 
but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God, saying, well, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. So they, as they heard this and Peter explained it, he's explaining to them, look, this was supernatural. This wasn't man's decision. Okay, I didn't just wake up one morning and decide, hey, let's start reaching the Gentiles. This was a Holy Spirit-inspired thing. God did this. God was behind this. Now, praise God that we haven't experienced a lot of this type of thing at One Life. Um, but sometimes churches can be notorious for being kind of cliquish, you know, and having kind of groups that, you, you know, you, you form these little groups and it's a certain type of person that comes and a certain social status and a certain wealth status or a certain type of thing. And, and anybody comes in that looks a little bit different then they're kind of on the outside or they're looked at a certain way. Man, praise God, we don't experience a lot of that at One Life. I never wanted to pastor a church like that. I mean, they dealt with it even in the New Testament. You know, James had to address it. He said, hey, it's, it's not right that you, you have all the rich people sitting on the front row. <laughs> and when somebody poor comes in, you make them sit in the back. He said, what are y'all doing? That's not, that's not godly. Again, praise God we don't have that, that kind of stuff going on here. But unfortunately, that's been something that has been in churches and worked its way into churches. This mindset of, you know, I'm better than you for, for whatever reason. Maybe because I think I'm holier than you. Maybe because I think I've been a Christian longer than you. Maybe because I think I have more money than you. What, you know, whatever reason. But we get used to a certain thing, certain type of person. I mean, and, and even at One Life, you know, think about even at One Life. You know, there's a certain type of person that comes, certain backgrounds. Certain, you know, everybody kind of starts looking the same, thinking the same. And then what happens when somebody comes in off the, the street that needs God and they look totally different? And everybody's kind of got a wary eye at them, like, who's this? I ain't seen you around here before. You look, you're making me a little nervous, you know, the way you look, for whatever reason. Well, that's not, that's not right. And that's not the heart of God. Now, there are things in place to, you know, we use wisdom and there are, you know, there are issues and things that have to be addressed. But my point is that it was always the religious and the Pharisees that pushed people away from God. That was... You know, they were notorious for that. And Jesus never did that. You know, Jesus rejected that. I mean, even the disciples who were, were good men, uh, you know, they were pushing the little kids away. And God said, no, let the, let the children come. He said, actually, it's for these exactly that the kingdom is for. So I'm telling you that because it's easy to read this and go, oh, those stupid uh, circumcision party. No, let me, let me tell you what you're reading when you read that. You're reading from a group. You're, you're reading about a group of people that have been taught man's tradition, man's way. They've been taught that this is right, and they've never thought about it any different. And they've just always believed this is how church is. This is how God is. This is how it's supposed to be. And so when they saw it different, they couldn't. They couldn't accept it. It, it was challenging their mindsets. We encounter it all the time. Look, there's people in this room from all different backgrounds. There's people in here from Baptist churches. People in here from Catholic churches, people in here from, you know, maybe Episcopal churches, all kinds of different backgrounds. And as a pastor, sometimes I talk to people from different backgrounds and we'll have conversations and they'll have questions and they'll say, well, what about this? What about that? And I'll say, well, where did you hear that? Where did you learn that? Well, that's what my, that's what my church always taught me. That's what my pastor always taught me. Okay, but where is that in the word of God? And as you begin to look, sometimes you, sometimes you begin to realize, wow, I've accepted man's tradition as if it were the Bible. And I put the tradition of man or the tradition of my church or the tradition of my denomination on the same level as the Word of God. But let me just tell you, God did not create denominations. You know, I know we're a non-denominational church, so like I'm... We're not a denomination church. 
God didn't create denominate. Man created denominations. And you know why he created denominations? Because of exactly what you're reading about right here. Now this, praise God, this went a little better than it's gone throughout history. But th- this is how this goes right here. Peter comes. He says, God's doing this. Circumcision party says, oh, no, you can't be right with God unless you're circumcised. They talk about it. They argue about it. They can't come to resolution. Circumcision party breaks off and goes, you know what? We're going to start first church of the circumcision party down the street then. And Peter says, well, we're staying non-denominational over here because that's... No, I'm just kidding. But that... And then guess what? Five years later, somebody else is going to break off from the circumcision party. And then five years later, somebody's going to break off from them. And that's not ever how it was supposed to be. It was always supposed to be one body, one body of Christ with the word of God supreme. And if any of us, no matter what our traditions are, what our backgrounds are, what churches we were raised, raised in, when we see something in the word of God, that ought to trump whatever our tradition or whatever our mindsets were and whatever we saw. I had a guy come one time, <laughs> funny conversation, come one time, he said, and he was so sincere, he was so sincere, he said, I'm so confused, he said, why do you have a beard, a beard? And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, I, I was taught always growing up that pastors couldn't have beards. I said, where on earth did you get that? I said, having a beard is the most godly thing you can do. I mean... I said, Jesus had a beard. How could you ever, they pulled his beard out at the cross. How could you ever say the pastor can have a beard? But it's no scripture. It's nowhere in, that's man's tradition. And I could give you a list of about 20 others. (laughs) Okay, it's just man's tradition. Listen, man's tradition should be way down here. And the word of God be up here. If somebody tells you, you can't do this, you shouldn't do that, you're not holy if you do this, where is that in the Bible? I want to see it. I want to see it. And when I began to read the Bible through cover to cover, I found out there was a lot of things people had told me were a certain way that I found out in Scripture. It was not that way. There was a lot of things people told me God was just super concerned about. But in Scripture, I found out He wasn't concerned about that at all. And there was other things that was never mentioned that I found out God really cared about this issue, but I never heard the first sermon on it. Why? Because man's tradition. And this is, a, this is why I was saying this at the beginning of how valuable we must hold the Word of God. Because as a Christian, the, the less you read the Word and the, the less familiar you are with the Word, the more susceptible you are to being indoctrinated by man's tradition. So when you hear somebody say, you know, all throughout the years, there's all, well, Christians can't dance, you know. Christians can't, you know, gamble. Christians can't get tattoos. Christians can't do these things. Okay, again, is there wisdom why you shouldn't do those things? Maybe. But if it's not a scripture, don't act like one person is holy and one person is not if they do or don't do it. Paul talked about all of that. He said some things are left up to conscience. So here's, here's what the, when I started reading the Word of God through, I began to find out, wow, there's a lot of things that we've acted like God said, but God didn't say it. It was just man that said it. And we should never do that. Actually, Jesus rejected uh, and criticized the Pharisees over this very issue. He said, you have taken the tradition of man and you've made it the Word of God. And he said, you went beyond the law. In other words, there were 613 commandments hard enough to follow. He said, you went even beyond that and you heaped burden on top of burden and made it heavier for people than it already was. So I've just endeavored that, man, if God, if, if God didn't want something done, he put it in there. I mean, and if he wanted us to do something, it's in there. So... I don't put a lot of, there's some gray, some things that are gray area, you know, and I, and I mentioned a few little things. That's not the point of the sermon tonight. But what, what is the point is this little thing that we're seeing right here where Peter comes and you got Peter hearing from God and then you've got the circumcision party and they, they think one way. And praise God in this instance that it didn't lead to some kind of split or schism or division. But actually in most cases it did. 
even in the Bible, when there, was di- when there were these disagreements, most of the time it left the people splitting off. And what I want to encourage you with tonight is just always elevate the Word of God. Always hold the Word of God supreme, and it will guard you against that. So he explains it. The Holy Spirit fell on them just as in us, on us at the beginning. And the, Holy, the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out. Verse 18, when they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God, saying then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Verse 19, now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. Now, this again, you see a difference in the body of Christ. And I don't really know why we're talking about this tonight exactly, because I think that the it's actually one of the things that our church was founded on, believe it or not. It's one of the ideas that our church was founded on is that, because I grew up, when I grew up in church, churches were very exclusive, like almost like we have a monopoly on the true revelation. And everyone else, they're probably saved, but they're not nearly as holy and wise and spiritual, and close to God as we are. That was kind of the mentality. And as I became more mature in the Lord and walking with the Lord longer, I began to realize, man, uh, there there are so many different ways of thinking and, and following God and people that have understanding that we don't have and vice versa. And... There's a lot of differences in the body of Christ. How many know our church is different than, say, several other churches down the road? Okay, or in our city. Does that mean our church is right and theirs is wrong? Does that mean their church is right and ours is wrong? We have different beliefs on different things. But from the very, from the very beginning of our church, the Lord led me to pray for other pastors in this city to pray for their churches, to pray for them. For everything that I wanted to happen at One Life, I prayed that it would happen for their church. I prayed for, their, I prayed for them to have volunteers. I prayed for them to have support. I prayed for them to have money. I prayed for their churches to be full. I prayed for godly wisdom, godly direction. I prayed for revival. I prayed for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on them and for them. And I've done that for 12 years while we started this, uh, since we started this church. Because I never came, we didn't, we didn't start this church with the mindset of, oh, we have all the answers. This church has everything and all these other churches are doing it wrong, so we're going to come in and do it right. That wasn't the mentality. No, how many of you know there's a lot of people in this city, they'll never come to One Life, but there are other churches in this town that they'll go to. And that God will use those churches to bless them, disciple them, help them, and vice versa. So I'm saying that because the body of Christ has been at odds for some reason on this. And I, I hate it. I wish it wasn't that way. You know, I've, I've experienced that uh, as a Christian and as a pastor of churches that are, you know, very uh, divisive and very, they don't want to work with other people and they kind of have that mindset. But look, in verse 19, this is, what he's, this is one of the times you can see this. See, there was a group of people, when the persecution happened in Jerusalem, there was a group of the church that stayed in Jerusalem. And there was a whole other group that were scattered because of the persecution, as it says here. So you have the group here that's enduring persecution, and you have the group who's running from persecution. Now, you can see where that would be quite a a point of division, because I can guarantee you those people that stayed in Jerusalem, because of persecution, they're hardcore. And their mindset is, you don't leave because people start persecuting. You don't run. You don't, you don't run off to other cities. You stay here and you, you suffer for Jesus. And you do what needs to be done. Well, guess what? They were right for them. That is what they were supposed to do. But look at this other group that they left. 
the Bible says they were spread. They were scattered. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and yeah, speaking the word of God. And actually tells us that earlier in the book of Acts that they spread the word of God everywhere they were going. Well, actually them being scattered is how the gospel spread all over that region. Everywhere they went, they spread the gospel and planted churches. So who's right? The group that was persecuted and stayed in Jerusalem or the group that was scattered and spread the gospel everywhere? The bottom line is that they were both right. And that they should have, the ones that, were, that felt strongly were supposed to stay God's leading us to stay. I don't feel like I'm supposed to run off. I'm supposed to stay right here. That's exactly what they were supposed to do. And then the other group that said, you know, I don't feel like I'm supposed to do that. I'm supposed to get my family and move on and, and, and get away from this. Well, if God was leading them to do that, then they were doing exactly what they were supposed to do too. But boy, when we feel like we're supposed to be doing something, don't we love to look at others that are doing it different and go, well, y'all are doing this, y'all are doing it that way, but this is really the right way that it's supposed to be done. Instead of understanding, actually, they may have the Holy Spirit on the inside of them leading them to do a certain way and go a certain way, and you have the Holy Spirit on the inside of you leading to do it. You can see that it was the will of God for both of these groups to do it the way that they did it. It was the will of God for the church of Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem was the biggest church. It was like the mother church. And that church had to stay strong for people that were there and reach people in Jerusalem. But as this group were scattered all over, the word of God went with them and churches were planted and the gospel was spread all over the region as they went. I've, I've told you all this before, that I experienced this same thing when I was in, when I was in China. You saw the same thing. There were, there were groups that felt like even though the persecution in China was great, they weren't going to change anything they were doing. In other words, they kept meeting in their church building even though it was illegal. Even though they'd come and put chains on the door, they said, no, we're, gonna, we're never going to bow. We're going to come. And they, they would stand in the pulpit until eventually, I mean, some churches were bulldozed. Pastor thrown in jail, flock scattered, church bulldozed. They did it in, in honor of God. That's what they felt like they were supposed to do. Others were had a different approach. That's where we get the underground church in China. They said, no, you know what? We're not going to do that because we don't need a building. The, uh, the church is not a building. We don't need to keep doing a building. What's more important is that we can keep operating. And so they got disciples and they would meet at different locations and different homes and they were under the radar. And when they had a little bit of persecution, they would change the strategy and they'd, they're always moving around, always different. They're under the radar. Well, you can see where those two groups would be at opposition because one is thinking, no, this is how you stand for Jesus. And if you were a real Christian, you, would, you wouldn't be afraid of the, the persecution. And the other one's thinking, well, that's just dumb. <laughs> this is wise. Let's, at least this way we could keep operating and reach people. Well, who's right? Well, my guess is that both are right and that each person has to do what they're led to do by the Holy Spirit. And I'm saying all of this because churches are notorious for getting in these things where we love to look at other Christians, other churches, and, and judge and point the finger and you're doing it right, you're not doing it right. And I, I really want us as a church to look at the whole body of Christ and go, look, they're all sons, of, sons and daughters of God. We may do things different. We may look different. We may worship different. We may teach different. But I believe when we get to heaven, there's going to be a lot of variety there that's worshiping God. Amen? So our hearts need to be open and, and bigger to that. So, verse 20 they're, they're spreading out, they're scattering because of the persecution, verse 20. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch, they spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. Those are the Greeks. Now this is amazing to me. Because these people had already been scattered from Jerusalem. They, they'd been scattered since uh, Stephen was stoned. They didn't know about Peter's vision. They didn't know about Peter's encounter with Cornelius. They didn't know that the gospel had been poured out on the Gentiles. That's why it says that there were, they, were, they were spreading and they were, uh, 
they were scattering. In verse 19, it says they were speaking the word to no one except the Jews because that was all they known. That was, that was the standard. That was the norm. But verse 20, there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene. So most of them were only preaching to the Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch, they began to speak to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. Now, that's amazing to me because I've seen this pattern as well in church where God will do the same thing across multiple bodies, multiple churches, multiple pastors that aren't even in contact, that don't even know each other. And, but yet he's, he's speaking and he's ministering uh, across his body. And you see that here. They, they weren't talking to Peter. They, would, they had already been scattered. They didn't know about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on Cornelius. Yet there was something in them as they were traveling and as they were scattered. There was something in them of, man, I, I just don't think that we need to keep this gospel to ourselves. I don't think that we just need to keep this gospel for the Jews. I think that we should be, to be spreading it to these Greeks that are here as well. I think they would want to know as well, and I think God would be okay with that. And so they, they're beginning to feel this well up in them. And that's amazing to me because uh, it doesn't say anything about them getting a vision. They didn't have the vision that Peter had. They didn't have the sheet come down and all of that. But they just, they knew, man, it feels like this is what God is doing. And I've seen that in my time in church of how pastors, churches that aren't even in relationship can begin to sense what God is doing. It's like it's across the whole body, this kind of movement of, you know, starting to go this way. Sometimes it is a movement of worship, movement of prayer. It's like before you know it, there's churches praying and worshiping. They don't even talk to each other, but they're like, this is, this is what we've been doing. And God is so faithful to do that and minister to his body. He knows how to get the word out to those who are listening. Verse 21, And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. And the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. So you got Jerusalem, you got the church at Jerusalem, and now you have the church at Antioch. So when they heard about the, the Gentiles turning in Antioch to God, they sent Barnabas to go check it out. Verse 23, when he came and saw the grace of God... He was glad, and he, ex he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Now here we are again with this relationship with Saul, and that was why I read to you in Acts chapter 9 in the beginning, because if you, if you look at Paul's journey and Paul's life, Paul had this dramatic experience. He wasn't really accepted at Jerusalem. He's in Damascus, and he, they plot to kill him. He has to climb over the wall. He's let down in a basket. He flees Damascus and goes to Tarsus, which is where he's from originally. And from other places in the New Testament, you find out that he was there by himself for a while. He's, again, kind of an outcast, not really... You know, obviously he's doing the work of the Lord in Tarsus, but he's, he's kind of off the radar. So Barnabas goes again. So, so Barnabas gets sent to Antioch, and he sees what's happening in the Gentiles. He sees this revival that's taking place there, and he has this thought. He remembers Paul, and he says, man, you know who could help me in this? Paul. He said, what's Paul doing? I don't know. He, ran, he left Damascus. He's over there in Tarsus. He said, let me go find Paul and see what he's doing. So he went and grabbed Paul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. So here again, you see this relationship between Barnabas and, and Paul, where Barnabas just would not give up on Paul. And I'm led to believe that Paul wasn't really doing much in Tarsus or else when, when uh, Barnabas showed up and said, hey, you want to come with me back to Antioch and spend a year of your life? I mean, if he'd been doing much, he said, I can't do that. I got this work going on here. I can't leave what I'm doing and go spend a year with you. But from what we can see, he wasn't doing much. Barnabas showed up. He said, yeah, I'll come. He went back to Antioch and he spent a year there discipling people. Man, how... 
Wouldn't that be a blessing to have Paul the Apostle come to your church and spend a year just teaching, helping disciple, meeting with people? That'd be amazing. I'd love that. And it was in Antioch that the disciples were first called Christians. And that is me and you today. We, we, we still carry that label and we still carry that connection all the way back to this moment. I mean, isn't that amazing to you that today we still call ourselves Christians and several thousand years ago is where that label was first given and we still walk around today going, hey, I'm a follower of Christ. I'm a Christian. And we, we bear that connection all the way back to the church of Antioch. Now here again, and this is the last point that I want to make to you tonight, is here again you see these differences. The church at Antioch was very different than the church at Jerusalem. And it would take a a lot longer time for us to look at those differences tonight. But the church at Jerusalem was very different. The church at Jerusalem had all the big shots, all all the real apostles, nothing wrong with that. You know, the twelve... These were, and then all the, all in Jerusalem, you know, it was like the New York of the area. It was a big city. You know, the temple was there. And even the Jews that were being converted were people of influence that had had influence in the temple. So Jerusalem, that church looked one way and the church at Antioch was totally different. The church of Antioch was mostly comprised of a mixture of Jews and Greeks. This is the first church to ever have this. First church. To ever have Gentiles and Jews worshiping alongside each other. That was unheard of. Gentiles were not even allowed in the temple. And here at Antioch, they're worshiping together side by side. First time. The churches were very different. And they're not being led by the superstar apostles. They're being led by, you know, Barnabas, who is one of the you know, he's kind of one of the underlings and he gets sent and then he goes and finds Paul the reject who never really got accepted by the apostles in the first place. And so Paul comes and this church at Antioch begins to grow and it's totally different than the church at Jerusalem. But who was right? Which way was right? Which church was right? Which model was right? Well, the answer is they were both right. And they both were unique. And they both had their own, their own purpose and their own function. God raised them up for different purposes. You know, if you look at a hammer and you look at a screwdriver and you go, well, which one is right? You go, well, they're both right because they both have different functions and they both have different purposes. And one is wrong for the other's purpose. We try to use a hammer for everything, but that doesn't work. That's <laughs> no, it's good for what it was designed to do. It's good for what, it was, what its purpose was. And, you know, we have people come in one life all the time over 12 years, and, and people don't mean anything by it. But, well, you know what? My last church, we did it this way. Or this is how we did it at the other church. Or this is how the other uh, pastor did it. And I have a lot of thoughts when people say that. First, my first thought is, well, why'd you leave your other church if you loved it so much? That don't make sense. But second thing is, I think, yeah, but churches are different, right? So just because that's how it was done there or done here, well, that doesn't mean that's going to have to be, be done here because we may have di- totally different functions and different purposes. You know, Antioch... One of the cool things about the church at Antioch was is that they were used to plant churches. And that was Paul's heart. Paul was a church planter. And it was out of Antioch that, these, that many people were raised up. Many uh, pastors and leaders were raised up. And they would go to these other churches and they would plant them all over the area. It was, uh, it was known for that. And Jerusalem wasn't really like that. And so, again, you, you can see the comparison come in. Well, we're, we're planting these churches, and that's the real gospel. What are y'all doing? Y'all are just over there growing, you know, five, ten times the size you were. You know, we, we're, we're not as big as y'all because we send everybody out. <laughs> we send all of our people. Every time we start growing, we send the people out, and they start planting other churches. Again, who's right? Well, it's two totally different models, two totally different functions, and both have their purpose. So what I'm saying is, This is how the body of Christ is meant to function. It's meant to function with this mindset of, I know what I'm supposed to be doing. I know what we're supposed to be doing, but I'm not, I don't know what you're supposed to be doing. I don't know what the church down the street is supposed to be doing. 
I don't know what God has shown them. I don't know what God's trying to do through them. I know what we're supposed to be doing. And in the meantime, I'm going to pray for you and hope that you are successful, as successful as you can be in whatever God's called you to be. And, and however God's going to use you. And man, if can you imagine a church, excuse me, can you imagine a city full of churches that thought like that? And we can't control what other churches are doing. But whenever you find churches that, that get that and understand that, it is absolutely beautiful what God can do through those relationships and through those partnerships. You know, one of the best things that's ever happened to this church is our relationship with Global Impact and Pastor Cedric Jefferson. And what God has done through that relationship and through those churches, through our churches working together, there were things that were accomplished uh, just, and we're just getting started, but there were things that already been accomplished that neither church would have done by themselves. But just, you know, and our churches couldn't be more different. You know, but just understanding, hey, you're called to do what you're called to do. I'm called to do what I'm called to do. And we support you. We bless you. We pray for you. And, and I hope you guys do the same thing for us. But, you know, every church should really be like that. Every single church should be like that. And I think it's a strategy of the enemy that it's not like that. Because what happens is, you know, you've got uh, these massive needs that need to be met in the city. And no one church can do it by themselves. And so in, in, instead of, you know, people having that heart that we're talking about tonight, you get a lot of other junk in the way. And who's the casualty for that? It's the world. The world is the casualty of it. And so, again, I just want to make sure that our church has that mindset. We can't, we can't control other people's mindset. But for us, I want to make sure that that's how our church thinks. When we, we, don't, we don't criticize other churches, we bless other churches. We pray for other churches. We support other churches because uh, we're all actually trying to do the same thing. We're actually all trying to fulfill the, the Great Commission and what God's called us to do. And again, that's what we see in the book of Acts between you know, Jerusalem, Antioch, and these other churches. Uh, there was such a connection there. It wasn't this scattered thing where your church, my church... Yeah, they were in different cities, but they looked at it as it's all one church. Matter of fact, Paul would write one letter to this one, and then they would just send it down to the next one. And then they'd read it, and they'd send it down to the next one. And there was this connection between all. They would take up offerings and send them to each other. Oh, y'all having a hard time over there? Y'all trying to do something? We'll take up an offering and send it down to you for that. And then when we have trouble, they take up an offering and send it here for us. There was this, this connection. And... I always try to think about, okay, I look at the church today and go, all right, I see how it is, but how does that compare with what God wanted it to be? And how does that compare with what God's heart is for the church at large to be? And again, we can't control what others are doing, but we can make sure that one life is, has that attitude and that mentality. Amen?